0: At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-ONE-HOUR or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time, or you don't
1: pay time.
0: Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Use your mobile phone to get 7 minutes of non-stop news from the Las Vegas Review Journal. 7 at 7. Weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Up, hockey fans this is the golden edge podcast the podcast where the las vegas review journal talks about hockey and the fans who love it so so much we've got a lot of fun topics to cover this week i of course am ben goats one of your las vegas review journal golden knights beat writers joining me on the other line is my colleague dave shane dave how's it going
1: good we got fans back in the building it feels like we're starting to to get things, you know, back to where they should be. I got my appointment for uh, for the vaccine coming up this week. So, you know, all things pointed in the right direction. Yeah? Yeah. Things are
0: definitely looking better than they just were. It feels like a couple days ago. Uh, it's crazy how something seemingly so small as like 2,000 people in a building feels so, so big. Of course, a lot of this episode is, of course, going to be dedicated to the fact that there were fans For the Golden Knights uh, 5-4 overtime victory against the Minnesota Wild on Monday. Yesterday, as we're recording this on Tuesday, one of the craziest games of the year. One of possibly the craziest games the Golden Knights have had in the regular season. I'm very excited to break it all down. But first, I want to remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. We highly recommend you guys check them out. Uh, We are also presented by Blue Wire Hustle. Of course, you can find all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. Uh, I just posted a story going through the Golden Knights grades through the first third of the season because they are approximately uh, 32% of the way through uh, this condensed schedule. So not quite a third of the way, but close enough. So you can, you know, tell me what I got wrong if you check that out. Uh, and of course, if you guys could rate, review, subscribe. whatever you do, to need podcast. Please do this one. We would very much appreciate it. All right. So to set the scene... Yesterday, the Golden Knights were approved for 15% capacity at T-Mobile Arena. They had not had fans in the building since March 3rd, 2020 in a 3-0 victory against the New Jersey Devils. But yesterday, the doors were open. People came in, uh, 2,605 people. Exactly that was the announced attendance. Uh, Dave, how much of a difference did it make to you having those people back? watching a live hockey game
1: in Las Vegas. A lot. (laughs) I mean, simply put, I think for the first month and a half, when we, when we've talked about this, you know, I think we've tried to put it in the context of, you know, the fans and, and wanting them to be able to experience it. We're, I think we're thankful and we're lucky enough that we've been able to be in the building and see some of these games you know, I've been fortunate enough to travel. Uh, certainly, you know, like I said, I, I was very grateful to go to Tahoe for all of the, the issues that there were with, you know, covering the event. But I think all along we've just been waiting for the fans to be able to enjoy this too. And I think, you know, to see, you know, some of the pictures and everything, you know, like Chase Stevens, our colleague and photographer and, and Rochelle Richards on social media and, you know, everything we are putting out to see the faces and the signs and, and, and just the, the pure enjoyment that everybody had at finally being able to walk through the doors. I think that was the the coolest thing for me. And then just to even hear like Pete DeBoer and the players talking about the impact. And, you know, we can get into the other stuff about, you know, how it's a step toward normalcy and and, and all those sorts of things. But really it was just, I think maybe for for Vegas and for fans to finally start to, you know, Get that connection with the team. I mean, they're 13, four and one. They're in first place and they can finally be able to, you know, cheer them on and Mark stone can go crazy in front of them during the three stars ceremony. So just to see that, I think was the biggest thing. Yeah. That was,
0: I guess the most fascinating thing to me. Cause I asked Pete DeBoer before the game, you know, after their morning skate kind of how much do you actually think basically, you know, 15% capacity, is going to make a difference because I was genuinely, you know, curious how much they were going to be able to actually kind of hear that number of fans. And his response was like, Oh yeah, we'll take it. It's going to be a huge, huge difference. And he was totally right. I've been mean, being in the building yesterday. You could hear the fans at important parts of the game, obviously it didn't reach kind of the same decibel level that it does when team all arena is normally packed and you know, everyone's shouting and screaming. But still, you know, it was kind of crazy and heartening to uh, hear people actually shout night during the national anthem again to hear a flurry chant kind of spontaneously break out after a really good save he made on a wild defenseman, Ian Cole. And as you mentioned, just the interaction between the players and the fans was just cool, too, where the players came out for warmups with their sticks held high as kind of a salute to the fans that showed up and kind of, you know, were willing to risk it to be there for that hockey game. And um, obviously then the moment you described with Mark stone coming out, being named uh, first star of the game, which we'll get to how incredible his performance was in the game as well. But you know how hyped up he was for that moment. Uh, We were talking earlier today. One thing that I find fascinating about uh, Mark stone is that one of the phrases he always uses when talking about kind of his job and the way he goes about it is, He likes to entertain people, as he said, he kind of understands that one of the primary reasons that we all get wrapped up in this is that it's, you know, entertaining and it's entertainment. And it's a way for people to kind of, you know, distract themselves or lose themselves or invest themselves in something kind of outside of themselves. And the fact that I think the Knights recognized it and were willing to give that back. Uh, It was really cool to see that connection play out in real time again, instead of you know virtually through screens or through fans leaving signs that could be put up during warmups and things.
1: Yeah, and I think you know it was kind of cool to hear on Monday morning. uh, You know, we we asked a couple questions of, of Pete DeBoer and the players, and sort of almost within their answers, they would steer to how pumped they were about the fans coming in. And Pete DeBoer said, I think there was a different buzz in the locker room and kind of around the team that day. They've been waiting for this for a long time. I think they got a little taste of it down in Arizona. And like I said, I was lucky enough to see that. It was noticeable. In full disclosure, I was not at the game last night. Uh, temporarily on the COVID list, everything's fine. But, you know, being safe and careful and I didn't want to you know, be around folks. and and everything like that so i didn't get to experience it firsthand but i did see in arizona what about 2500 sounds like and there were a lot of knights fans down there and it was noticeable and like you said it was noticeable the national anthem down there it was noticeable when they came out for warmups i'm sure last night and obviously you can speak to this you know better than i can and you have a little bit is just that 2500 sounds probably louder than you think it would and i can only imagine when that goal went in in overtime and even when like alex tuck scored with you know 41.6 seconds left in the third i mean it probably sounded like double 2500 in there i'd be willing to bet Oh, it absolutely did. And we can get into that now
0: a little bit because not only were fans back in the building making this a hugely important game kind of no matter what, but it also was, I would say, almost instantly, you know, one of those classic Golden Knights games that I think people are going to be remembering for a very, very long time because it was back and forth. It was action-packed. The Wilds scored four goals in the second period to take a a 4-2 lead Into the second intermission, it looked like the Wild were going to waltz out of T-Mobile arena with a victory, which would have put Minnesota in first in the West division in terms of points. The Knights would have still had the edge in points percentage, but still, that would have been obviously a significant development, especially because the Wild really do look like uh, they're on the rise here. They had won six straight coming into Monday, and then... The Knights come back out for the third period and for most of it, they get nothing going. The Wild are doing a good job, basically kind of, you know, milking the clock. And then finally Nick Hag busts a one-timer past Cam Talbot and the crowd starts feeling it and buzzing. And you can hear the energy come back in the building and the players clearly felt it too. And so, as you mentioned, the crowd is trying to will the Knights to a comeback as Marc-Andre Fleury is pulled from the game with less than a minute and a half to go. The Knights eventually get that equalizer from Alex Tuck, who of course was a Minnesota wild draft pick. And that sends the crowd into an even further frenzy. And of course the Knights then go on to win in overtime where Mark Stone sets up Max Pacioretty for the game winner about two minutes in. And the most incredible quote to me after the game was Max Max Pacioretty basically saying, yeah, we heard the crowd, we got that energy. And there was a feeling on the bench kind of because of that, that, oh yeah, there's no way we're not coming back in this game. There's no way that we're not going to end up ahead in this game. And to have that kind of belief back on the bench, just because 2,600 people showed up to watch them play hockey I think is a remarkable quote. It's a remarkable development. And it's just really fascinating to me, Dave, that, you know, Pacioretty basically just like threw it all out there. Like, Hey, the crowd helped kind of give us that belief and that will and that life to stay in the fight. And eventually the Knights got rewarded and got a very big win out of it.
1: So I don't know what it felt like on press row, but certainly watching it from home on TV it sort of felt like that goal was coming. It, you know, the Alex Tuck one just felt like they were swarming, and they finally had, like you said, that that energy and that wave behind them. I, I think, you know, I went back and I wrote about this, and, and hopefully, listeners can, you know, check it out on the on the RJ website. That comeback, I mean. It's never been done before by the Golden Knights. They were down two goals going into the third period, came back and won. It's never happened before. They've never overturned a multi-goal deficit in the third period in the regular season. The only other time that they've done it was in the round robin against Dallas. So uh, we talk about how different this felt and like how big this felt, how this was a game that's kind of an instant classic and the fans had... A heck of a lot to do with that. Pete DeBoer acknowledged that today again. You know, after the the optional practice and, and the players did as well. How much the the fans had to do with that, but it was also, I guess, historic because it's never been done before by the Knights. So in that context, when and and I had you know a little bit of conversation on Twitter with some folks because I mean this felt like one of those top three, top five. You know, maybe greatest game in the regular season of all of all time I mean there's been a couple, certainly the interaction that i've had people remember the December two thousand and seventeen game against Tampa uh, I remember the I think it's December two thousand and eighteen against Washington, which is the lion in the jungle game uh there's been a couple against St Louis, obviously, you know last year after uh Jar glance walk out and they came out. Uh, we're down three nothing in the first period, and then came back and eventually won that overtime. You know, some people mentioned the Sharks game the first year when Carlson scored between his legs, and then the Nashville game. You know, when Patchetti scored with point three. But, but I mean, regardless of of how you look at it in the context of the fans or or just the comeback. I mean, Monday is going to go down as one of those games that if you were there, you're going to be telling stories about for 50 years to come.
0: Oh, I'm sure that, you know, as we mentioned, there's 2,600 people there. I'm sure 10,000 people are going to say that they were at that game because it's a game that you want to brag that you were at for all the reasons that you mentioned, Dave. Uh, One of the reasons it was really remarkable is that it basically came against one of the night's few NHL boogeymen um, you know, I, of course, was at the game. So I was writing the game story. And so part of the lovely game story that I was going to turn in, if the score held at four, two was all about how like, man, the Minnesota wild, for whatever reason, they have very few teams numbers, but they really have the Knights number, uh, the Knights entered that game with a two and six all time record against the Minnesota wild, which is tied for their worst record against any opponent in the NHL uh, with the Boston Bruins. So now obviously Boston is the Knights' uh, worst all time opponent. Marc-Andre Fleury for whatever reason is not good against the Minnesota wild. And frankly, he was not at his best last night either because he gave up four goals for only the second time all season. But the fact that the Knights, overcame all that kind of adds another layer to it too, of this is a team that for whatever reason they don't play against, it's a team that their goalie doesn't play well against for whatever reason through 40 minutes, they for the most part didn't play well against the wild really 20 minutes because the first period I think was mostly nights, even though it ended zero zero, but they had a real, real lapse for 20 minutes. The wild seemed to jump all over them like they always do. They seem to outmuscle the Knights, especially around the net like they seem to always do. And the fact that the
1: Knights overcame all that, I think, just adds even more to the story. It does. And I think if we're going to talk about, you know, we spent a lot of time in the potential Colorado series and, and that matchup and how they seem to be on a collision course. Well, you know, depending on what happens here, I mean, Minnesota has been impressive early on. They certainly, to me, look like, you know, the team that's clearly the favorite for, I guess, let's say the fourth seed if we're going to lock in. St. Louis, Colorado in the night, which in in no particular order, and we'll see if that actually works out. I know Colorado's record right now isn't exactly sparkling, but I think, you know, certainly for most of that game, two and a half periods, if you're Dean Evison and and you're the wild, you feel really good about how you played. I think they're a team that's going to be an interesting matchup down the road. Obviously these teams have what seven more games remaining on the schedule, starting with tomorrow night, Wednesday, at, at T-Mobile. So, I mean, you've got, it's a different team. That's the one thing with this. It's very, it's interesting because I think matchup wise, if we go back historically, I think the Knights kind of wanted to go, go, go and be transition, you know, early in the history and the wild were more of a, you know, they would sit back and not necessarily trap, but, you know, play more of, of a conservative kind of counter-attacking style. That seemed to be kind of a real antidote for, for the Knights early on. And, and I think what we saw with the Wild is, is they're a little bit different team now. You know, they've got a little bit more skill. Uh, Kaprizov is certainly, you know, a roster changer and a guy like Greenway uh, is starting to develop and, and produce. It, it sort of creates a different complexion for that team and, and what you're, you know, scouting and, and looking for. Uh, I guess the difference maker, though, to transition this a little bit, you know, certainly last night was just a performance of Mark Stone. Uh and maybe that's the one thing if we're gonna look at the, you know, Caprice off and maybe what he can do for the while that they just haven't had other than on maybe defense is sort of that, you know, potential game breaker up front, which Mark Stone, five assists, five primary assists, second guy in the last twenty-five years to do that. I mean, it's funny because we talk about all the layers of of that game and and all the memorable things about it. And, and it's almost lost in the shuffle in a way that Mark Stone had this, like, record-setting historic night. In- At One Hour Air Conditioning
0: and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-ONE-HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. Hey everyone! Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q and As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Look for 7 at 7 local streaming news from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Find it on your smartphone at the RJ app or it's available on Roku TV, Fire TV and Apple TV. Download the app and you're ready to go for 7 at 7. Yeah, Mark Stone was absolutely incredible last time. I mean, it took me a second to realize that, no, it wasn't just five assists, uh, as you mentioned, Dave. It was the five primary assists where he was directly setting up each of those goals. And some of those passes were just so perfect right on the money. I mean, the first one to set up uh, Cody Glass's power play goal right on the tape, it was going to be really hard for glass to miss the setup for Alex Tuck for the game tying goal was obviously just really, really smart getting it across the crease because uh, Minnesota Wild uh, left wing Zach Parise was so tired and he couldn't chase the play around anymore and then the play in overtime was just incredible. You have Jared Spurgeon who's the Wild captain and he's dives to try to do everything in his power to take away Mark Stone's pass to Max Pacioretty and force Mark Stone to shoot that puck on a bad angle and Stone waits him out and waits him out and waits him out and then slides it right to ready stick for a tap-in goal for the game winner. That was Patcheretti's second goal of the game. He had three points as well. I mean, those two are obviously just incredible together. But I mean, that's what a captain should do. That's what a captain should be, I guess, for lack of better. Where we talked this about, you know, Mark Stone sometimes just leads by example. And last night was one of those games where. The Knights needed that game in a lot of ways or really wanted that game. And he kind of said, all right, everyone get on my back and let's go. And in hockey, it is very, very rare to see those kind of performances sometimes because you roll four lines and you've got 60 and obviously goaltending is just so massively, massively important. And unless you're Connor McDavid, uh, sometimes those games just don't happen. But that was one of those games from Mark Stone and that's why he's a very special player, if not, you know, in a different way than, of course, a lot of guys like uh, Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews are.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that's that's kind of the point with him, I think, is the more and more you watch him, it's 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 almost a subtle greatness in a way. You know, it's not the I'm going to take the puck and just go through everybody and wow you with my speed or blow you away, away with my shot. You know, he knocks down pucks and he, you know, he does one of the one of the passes that I was most impressed with was the one to patcheretti for the first goal on the power play it only because on that same power play he made this almost an identical pass to him and patchre for whatever reason couldn't get the shot off. I couldn't tell if he bobbled or was looking to try to make a play or just what, for whatever reason. but stone on the goal line almost in that same position that Cody Glass that we've talked about. And to be able to pick out options and thread the needle and do it again, do it a second time, get it back to Pacioretty. And this time, you know, he was able to to rip it and and score. Uh, It's just it's funny because a few a few games ago, Mark Stone was kind of, you know, down after the game and and not happy with their five on five play. Said they were too predictable, you know, and then he goes out and. Pete DeBoer tells him, maybe you should shoot a little more. And, you know, he goes out and has five assists, you know, and, and almost in like different ways. And and some of them were similar, like the the, the pass to tuck was similar to the one for glass. I mean, you know, kind of tapping goals, you know, on the doorstep to be able to see those plays, you know, and to be able to make them, you know, under duress, under pressure and, and do it repeatedly. I mean... You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with like the MVP voting and how this is all going to work with like different divisions. Cause it almost feels like it's unbalanced a little way with like what the final, you know, stats are going to end up looking like. The guys up in Canada, it feels like are going to have, you know, a whole mess of points, but, you know, their games are real wide open. Uh, but at some point here, it feels like if Mark Stone is producing at the rate that he's producing at, he's going to end up being in the heart trophy uh, conversation here down the line.
0: But yeah, he is currently seventh in the NHL in assists with 18. Uh, his 1.22 points per game are the highest total of his career. So even whether he gets in that conversation or not, I'm sure the Knights are plenty happy with him. Uh, moving on to get a little bit bigger picture after breaking down was a just very wild, uh, to use a pun, an entertaining game yesterday. Uh, I want to talk about the fact that the Knights are a, basically a third of the way through their season so far. And just kind of go through the uh, ups, downs, highlights, lowlights real quick here. Um, As we mentioned, the Knights are in first place in the West Division in both points and points percentage. They're one point ahead of the Blues uh, in points, but they have uh, played four fewer games than the Blues. And then they are uh, pretty well ahead of the Wild in terms of points percentage. The Avalanche are third in points percentage, the Blues fourth um, overall, Dave, based on you know kind of everything the schedule has hurled at the night so far, uh, the fact that they went a game without their NHL coaches, the fact that they went a game where a player got uh, pulled during the second intermission because he tested positive for COVID nineteen, uh, the fact that they played one period of an outdoor game, then took an eight minute eight hour break, and then came back and played some more. Uh, how happy do you think they are with the fact that they are thirteen four and one right now and uh, you know, as we said, are sitting pretty well in terms of the the standings and their setup right now.
1: You, you put it like that. I mean, it's kind of like you, you don't quite realize all the speed bumps that have been in their path so far. I mean, it feels like in a weird way, if, like you said, thirteen, four, and one. And they just, you know, play the games, cruising right along and whatever. But yeah, they've had a whole lot of things in their way that they've had to overcome and adapt to. Like you mentioned, I, I think you have to be happy I mean, anytime you're in first place and, you know, seven, whatever points percentage they are right now, I'm terrible at math. I apologize. And I'm too lazy to pull up the standings on my, uh, on my computer. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think you have to be happy. I think it's interesting though. I'm not going to, I don't want to pat myself on the back. I don't want to say I'm totally surprised. And part of that comes from the schedule and their dominance of, I guess, the former Pacific division. And sort of the way that the the schedule is balanced toward, you know, a lot of games against Anaheim. They played four straight against, you know, Arizona, they played a couple against San Jose, L.A. I mean, these are I mean, L.A.'s a little bit improved, but those are, you know, what you would consider bottom half, bottom division teams. So they've sort of feasted, you know, a little bit on on some of the, you know, lesser halves uh, of the division and certainly the Minnesota game, you know, the Colorado series, I think was a good test, but you know, to see them and, and maybe not play as well as they could or should have in some games and then still be able to pull it out. I can't say I'm totally shocked just because it shows how much better they are than most of the teams in, in that division, just flat out. I, there's no other way to say it.
0: No, and I definitely agree with you Uh, real quick. I want to go through kind of our surprises and uh, disappointments so far through a third of the way through the year. Um, I would have to imagine that probably your surprise is going to be similar to mine, Dave, and that I think it kind of has to be not only the fact that Marc-Andre Fleury is playing well, but that, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, wherever people want to put him is fine, but I got odds from a bet online the other day, and they had him as the basically second favorite for the Vesna trophy behind Tampa Bay's Andre Vasilevsky, who is a previous winner and of course won the Stanley cup last year. I'm sure people could have predicted a bounce back for Marc-Andre Fleury. I don't think a lot of people thought he was going to be this good so far.
1: No. And I was trying to figure out a different surprise other than that. Cause I figured yours would be that too, but I mean, it's hard to get away from it. I, I, the, he is, I mean, for all the other things going on, and like you mentioned, you know, the Tahoe game and pausing for, you know, COVID, having, you know, a Sharks game postponed because, you know, a Sharks player, Tomas Hurdle, entered protocol, for all of those sorts of things, Marc-Andre Fleury is a story. Uh, I mean, here uh, across, you know, the league, across the, you know, hockey world for the most part, one, because he's so popular but two, because of the way that he's played. And certainly, you you know, the Knights went into this season probably, and I think they've said this at at different points, expecting to alternate goalies. I don't think they really expected anybody to have to emerge and and take the reins as long as they were both playing well. I think they were content to go back and forth until, you know, playoff time and then then they would make a decision. Obviously, circumstances change When Robin Leonard goes, you know, on, I guess, not injured reserve, but when he goes out with an upper body injury and you don't really have any other option than to go with Marc-Andre Fleury at that point. But he was playing so well before and to see what he's done now and to have it raise all the questions that, that it's going to raise when Robin Leonard comes back and do they go back to alternating and, you know, does Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, continue to be the number one guy and what does that mean for the future? His Robin Leonard's, the teams, all those sorts of things. It, it, there's just so much that, that comes with his performance so far, uh, but, it, but absolutely the biggest surprise. No, definitely. Then we'll quick
0: go negative for just a bit here with, before wrapping up and talk about our biggest disappointment, there's obviously, you know, some candidates for this, some that I think are more fair than others. The one that uh, jumped out at me after doing uh, some research for the great piece I put up, which once again is on reviewjournal.com. is just kind of the bottom six in general, which I'm sure kind of sounds like a cop-out answer. But I do kind of mean this in terms of if you look at how the Golden Knights do at five on five when William Carlson or Chandler Stevenson on the ice, it's very good. When William Carlson or Chandler Stevenson is not on the ice, it's not so good. I think, you know, the Golden Knights kind of default third line for a while there with Alex Tuck, Cody Glass, Nicholas Waugh was probably not producing the way that the team wanted it to. And even when it was producing, a lot of times it was just Alex Tuck making something happen because he was better than a lot of the players on the ice, which is great, but not necessarily kind of the sustainable model of success that you want. And Dave, you wrote a piece that's up there today where Ryan Reeves was quite candid about how he thinks the fourth line can still be better so far this season. And so that's kind of an element that I think the Golden Knights still are figuring out in their game about how they kind of, you know, fit a lot of the bottom six forward pieces that they have together, because that's something that was an area of strength for the team in the bubble in the postseason I don't think it's quite been that way yet. And, you know, teams like Minnesota that we saw last night that do have quite a bit of depth, but maybe not the same high-end guys that the Knights do are going to be able to take advantage of some matchups if the Knights lineup kind of keeps playing this way moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think in terms of, you know, looking at it, I, I think specifically it's the fourth line for me. If I'm going to look at that, that bottom six and sort of examine what you're... What you're talking about, and obviously, you know the offense is the first thing to look at. And Ryan Reeves, no goals, one point. Well, Carrier, no goals, one point. You know, Tomash Nosik has one goal. It came on opening night uh, when Nick Waz been down there. Nothing. Keegan Kolasar obviously hasn't scored either. But that line, you know, played pretty well in the game at Colorado, and then you know against Anaheim as well. Uh, they were on the ice. Uh, when Alex Petrangelo scored the first goal. So, speaking of though, I'm going to transition and I'm going to, I'm going to take a swing here and I'm going to give a little hot take. So, my biggest disappointment is Alex Petrangelo, and it's not that he's been bad. It's not that he's, I think, really played poorly or anything like that. And it's really not even so much. I think my disappointment. I think it's just more so the general consensus of when you pay 8.8 million per season over seven years for somebody who is kind of billed as a, as a Norris trophy candidate. And, you know, one of the top five defensemen in the league, I think you develop a picture in your mind of what that is. And what's unfair in a lot of ways is that Alex Petrangelo has never been that he's never been like a 60 point, you know, grab the puck, rush up the ice, create a bunch of stuff, you know, run the, top power play and, and, you know, have it be in the top five of the league and him blasting from the point and getting tips or assists or setting people. That's never been who he is. And I think there's sort of a misconception almost with, with, with what he's supposed to be where my disappointment, I guess, with it, with his play has been is how like almost over aggressive he was early on. And it seemed like he had to figure out, okay, I have this free reign well, what does free reign mean for me? And how can I best utilize that? And it seemed like early on, boy, he was just pinching every chance he got flying up the ice, joining the rush, and he was out of position. And every once in a while, you know, he he was able to get back and and sort of make up for it. But more and more, he would get caught up ice and it would put the knights in bad spots or you know, he would be the one back on a two-on-one and sort of not be able to break up the pass, or maybe you question a little bit his positioning on it. The last, I'd say, week or so, especially, you know, since he got back from from his stint on the COVID list, he has been so much better. He was really good that first game against Colorado, and then I thought he was even better in the series finale when they shut out Colorado. And then he, ever since then, I, I thought you know his pairing. With Shea Theodore seems to be working. I, I'm not sure. I really like it long term, but for right now, the matchups and and what they're doing, it, it seems to be working. But if we're going to talk disappointment, I, I, I feel like there's more there, and he's getting to that point. He he looks more comfortable. He says he's more comfortable. But if we're going to nitpick and we're gonna we're gonna really start, you know, saying what to you know what's not living up to expectations. I feel like if we're going to be fair, Alex Petrangelo, you know, is just starting to but but for a lot of the first third of the season, you know, he's underwhelmed. No, I think that's definitely fair. It reminds me a lot
0: of Max Pacioretty's first season with the Knights where he came in, he knew there was a lot of expectations on him and it just didn't click right away. And then for Pacioretty, obviously last year his second year with the team it clicked very very well and so far that's carried over into this season as well where he has uh, 16 points in 18 games but he talked pretty openly between his you know the first year and the second year about how he was kind of quote unquote walking on eggshells walking in to the locker room because he knew he was walking into a team that had just made it the Stanley Cup final and he didn't want to screw anything up and he also kind of talked about the, the stress of that off season before he came to the Knights where he knew he was going to get traded from the Montreal Canadians. He just didn't know when and where really kind of took a toll on him because it altered his off season routine. He wasn't able to kind of train the way he wanted to, because he always wanted to be in Montreal in case all of a sudden he had to, you know, pack up and go somewhere, especially because his wife at the time was you know pregnant, which added an extra layer of kind of, you know, stress, I'm sure, uh, obviously in a very good way. Uh, eventually. And so I wonder if some of those same things are going to affect Alex Petrangelo for still a little bit here, where obviously it was a stressful time to be a free agent in terms of the pandemic. It was probably a really tough decision for him to ultimately break ties with St. Louis, uh, a place that he won a Stanley Cup as the captain in a place where I believe his wife is from. I mean, there was a lot of things anchoring him there. And so I wonder how tough it really was for him to eventually turn that page. And he also mentioned, you know, he's been with one team, one system, his entire career. I'm sure it was very tricky to try to fit in to a new system here. So I wonder if we're going to see the same patcheretti arc. We're kind of toward the end of that first season, especially for Pacioretty, when all of a sudden uh, Mark Stone got dropped on his line, which would help just about anyone. Play better, uh, you know. He took off, and so I'm not expecting the Golden Knights to add a uh, perfect defense partner for Alex Petrangelo. But I do wonder if he'll get more comfortable as the season goes on. Uh, but I will agree with you to this point. He has definitely not lived up to the price tag so far. I don't think he's been, you know, particularly, you know, bad or hurting the team. But I also don't think. There's been a ton of games. There have been some, but not a ton, ton of games where you could point to and be like, "Wow, Alex Petrangelo really impacted that game so
1: far." That shot against Anaheim on Saturday, though, that was something. I mean, he kind of wheeled, and it's weird because I, you know, my angle, it almost looked like it sort of went through Gibson a little bit. You know, like maybe it was a goal that Gibson should have had, and then all of a sudden, I see the replay and where Petrangelo put that shot. And I'm like, that is that's some pinpoint like marksmanship right there, (laughs) you know, and I think we'll see more of that. And and again, I don't mean to like crush him and I don't mean to like, you know, sit here and say, oh, he stinks and he's been terrible. Because like you said, I don't think he's I don't think he's been really bad. But I just think if we're going to talk about disappointments on a 13 and four or 13, four and one team, you know, we're kind of splitting hairs. We're kind of nitpicking here and. You know, hey, the $8.8 million guy is as good a target as anybody when he's got, you know, what, two goals to this point. So, you know, I mean, it's all relative. I mean, we could we could, you know, jab on some other things, too. But, you know, that that was the one thing that that does kind of jump out. I mean, the other thing, too, I guess if we're going to really like talk about disappointments, the gold helmets. Come on. Like just get rid of them. Like I'm all for swinging and 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 whatever. But like sometimes you miss, and if you miss, just okay, you know, take it, take it, chalk it. You know, take your your K. Head to the dugout. You know, try again next time. But I don't know. They seem to keep bringing them out. So
0: As I was to say, there's some uh, cliche that I've heard that I don't know who I'm stealing it from, but everyone makes mistakes. The good ones just move on from their mistakes faster. And that's what the Golden Knights should probably do with the helmets. That's what they did do uh, with their uh, tout service that they partnered with that we didn't even have time to get into. But of course, read Todd Dewey's uh, stories on that whole saga at reviewjournal.com if you're interested in the Knights tout service partnership that was that was quickly canceled after a couple days. Um But. We hope you guys enjoyed this talk about fans coming back in the building, one of the most exciting games in Golden Knights regular season history, and just kind of some reflections on the season that has been so far. That's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge podcast. As a reminder, we are sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. We really encourage you guys to check them out. Uh, Also, please remember to check out all our written work. We've cited several examples throughout this podcast at ReviewJournal.com. Also, if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast, please do this one. We are also this week presented by Blue Wire Hustle. He's Dave Shane. I'm Ben Goats. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-ONE-HOUR or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time, oh, you
1: don't take
0: time. Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Please check out our new 7 at 7 newscast weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Get every bit of local news you need in 7 minutes from the Las Vegas Review Journal.